In different places and different congregations, Christians try different ways to create a hearing of God's word. Some have the congregation stand. You've been there before. Maybe Fourth Avenue has done that in the past. Congregation stands during the reading of the word. Others employ gifted readers, gifted storytellers. But this morning, I would like to put the burden on your ears and ask you to listen carefully, to sit still, and to absorb this especially pertinent text, this pertinent story in the Bible, this courtroom scene. I'll not say much to introduce the reading, except that the setting is a courtroom, that God's people are on trial. And you'll hear several voices in this short reading. You'll hear the voice of the bailiff. You'll hear the voice of God. You'll hear the voice of God's people, and then you'll hear God again. And if you listen really carefully, you may be even able to hear yourself. Listen to what the Lord is saying. Micah 6, 1 to 8. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Listen, you mountains, to the Lord's indictment, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people, a dispute with Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember. Remember what Balak, king of Moab, planned. How Balaam answered and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal. So that you might know the righteous acts of the Lord. Well, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself to God on high? Shall I come to God with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take pleasure in thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give him my firstborn for my wrongdoings, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? <laughs> He's told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Since none of us are eager <laughs> to go to a courtroom, especially if we're the ones on trial, the best way to move into the world that is envisioned in this particular text is to watch somebody else enter into that story. And maybe as we watch that person, we can overhear for ourselves. And so this morning, I would like to tell you the story of a man named Richard. Richard is upper middle class, or upper upper. He's white. He's 42 years old. He's married. He has two grade school children. He has two brand new cars, both paid for. He settled nicely into his business. He lives in Franklin, 
And he lives in that neighborhood that has the sign out front that says starting at $9.99. He's maneuvering for a promotion that's had him taking on extra travel that will get him his position enhancement. Richard's most recent travel took him to Dallas, where while he had to avoid tipping airport shuttles and motel maids, he had an overall good experience, and that experience went like this. At the conference, there was an abundance of very fine cuisine. Richard had to discipline himself from eating too much. The conference site was very nice, new carpet, of course, chandeliers in the meeting rooms, portable comfy chairs, Starbucks in the morning, ice water in the afternoon. But when Richard looked outside the window, he was troubled by what he saw. There were panhandlers visible, homeless with their grocery carts and black bags, Denny's across the street, what Richard likes to call greasy food for greasy people. Upon his return home from the conference at the end of the week, Richard was faced with a domestic decision, poor performance by the cleaning service and a neighborhood upgrade possibility. When he heard about the cleaning service, he said, what's wrong with labor these days? Where's gumption? Where's pride in a job well done? And he was left with the options. He could either talk to the leading cleaning lady, he could talk to the owner, or he could just switch companies. But the neighborhood upgrade possibility brought a smile to Richard's face because the real estate lady had called and said there's a home available, about to be available in Bell Mead that would fit what they are willing to pay. Sunday, of course, was church. The sermon from this passage, Micah 6, verses 1 to 8, what it meant, what it means, an exhortation to help the poor. Richard tried to listen, but his mind was wandering. He was busy solving problems and seizing opportunities and, and planning next week's weekend getaway to their, their condo on the Gulf Coast. After church, shaking hands at the door, the minister said, well, how was your trip this week, Richard? And Richard said, oh, he says, traveling's wearing me out. I'm happy to be done. Looking forward to staying close to home, which for Richard was well aware, is well away from Memphis and East Nashville and even some of the seamier parts of Franklin. I tell you all of this as context, as background, so that you might better hear what took place that night. Richard's sleep was restless and fitful. He was, it was filled with uneasy dreams. In fact, it was so troublesome, it was more of a nightmare. And here is what happened. In his dream, Richard was standing ankle cuffed and handcuffed, wearing an orange jumpsuit. He had on tennis shoes without shoestrings, and he was huddled with other villains wearing the same jailhouse clothing. And he looked to be in a courtroom. It was an ancient courtroom. The blue sky was above him, but he was surrounded by large gray stone walls. He was standing in an alcove, three benches along the side. It was an ancient courtroom. He knew it because of what he was hearing. He could tell the voices, all rise, your honor. I object, overruled, we find the defendant. He was in a courtroom, all right. Richard looked ahead and he saw familiar faces, not really faces, but the uniforms they were wearing. It was the driver of the shuttle. It was the waitress from the conference and the busboy. It was the woman who cleaned his motel room. It was the four Molly maids that scrubbed his toilets. 
He recognized some by face, but mostly by uniform. And then he realized, oh, they're not wearing the jailhouse orange. They're not handcuffed. They're not ankle cuffed. They're not on trial. I'm on trial, Richard said. Why am I on trial? What's the charges? What have I done? And amongst the stone benches, there was a throne. It was the throne of David, only David wasn't on the throne. It was God who was on the throne. And God now was talking, and Richard was listening, and God was recalling all of his kindnesses from the beginning of the world, creation, and to Israel, and Jesus, and the church, and throughout time, and even into Richard's life, and with his family. And as God was going on and on, Richard started to cry. He was weeping because he could see so clearly God's steadfast love love and his loving kindness and he was crying in part because he could feel his own responsibility and then like thunder rolling in from the distance he heard a question and the question was how do you plead how do you plead and then with a start Richard awoke he was wet from perspiration his face was wet from his tears it was still the middle of the night but Richard slipped on his slippers and he walked down the staircase to his den and he stood before his bookcase and he pulled the Bible off the shelf and then he sat down in his overstuffed chair and he turned on the light and he opened the book to Micah and then he thumbed over to the sixth chapter and he looked carefully at the passage he was thinking clearly now and he realized I was dreaming Micah 6. I had been in God's courtroom. I was hearing these words. And as Richard examined the text, some images stood out. Balaam and Balak, for example. He remembered that from Sunday school, mostly the talking donkey. But he also remembered the story that Balak bribed Balaam to curse Israel, but Balaam couldn't curse Israel because God intervened. God's righteous acts on behalf of his people. And of course, he recognized Moses and Aaron and Miriam, that God had used them to lead Israel out of oppression of hard labor, out of the, in, the murder of innocence, the little babies, the affliction of impossible work and torture and the cruelty of slavery. And all that came with Egyptian bondage, through Moses and Aaron and Miriam, God's righteous acts on behalf of his people. And then Richard's eyes fell on one word, and the word there was remember. And then his mind began to connect the dots. God said, when you're in the land of milk and honey, you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, that the Lord redeemed you from there, and therefore you shall not pervert justice due to the orphan, the alien, or the widow. God said, remember when you're in the land of milk and honey, that when you harvest your crops, olives or grapes, always leave plenty behind for the helpless in society. Remember that you were a slave in Egypt. And then Richard remembered the hands peeling out the tips at the airport. He thought maybe they remembered. And he recalled the conversation about the, Molly, the maid service at the hotel on the way back. Tip her, they said, and she'll leave you a little chocolate mint on the pillow. Evidently, they remembered. And the charges, what were those charges from the dream? He was wondering, as he read through Micah, he could see them. 
deceptive weights, rich men, leaders judging for a bribe, coveting fields and seizing them, coveting houses and taking them, evicting tenants, the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. And that's it. That's all I've got. You'd like to know more, I know. Well, what happened to Richard? What happened next? Does he stay in that world where he sees with such clarity? What becomes of him? And the voice in that rolling thunder, how do you plead? How does he plead? Oh, I don't know. I don't know the answers to those questions, except for one. I know how he answers the charges against him. Because I know how I answer those charges against me, how we answer those charges against us when we find ourselves in the world envisioned in the text and are singed by the heat of the text. Not wanting to be burned, we look to escape. And we enlist for ourselves a little self-defense attorney who steps in to help us by pointing out the loopholes to get us off the hook. For example, our self-defense attorney takes us back to this passage. He says, did you notice the arrogance of the people in that reading? Did you hear what they said? They said, what do you want? Want me to sell all I possess and give it to the expansion of the church building? Will that make you happy? Our our self-defense attorney says, they have such a stinky attitude. No wonder God was mad at them. You have a soft heart. You're not half that bad. You're not guilty. And then our self-defense attorney says, go ahead, look around the room, he says. You're not half as rich as these people here. You don't live in a gated community. You're not house hunting on Bell Mead like Richard. You don't drive a 2022 Jaguar. Don't go there, someone says. Don't do that, our conscience says. And a voice from somewhere breaks in and says, when you compare yourselves with yourselves, you lack understanding. How do you plead, the thundering voice says. Our self-defense attorney whispers, you don't know any poor people. How can you abuse the poor if you don't know any poor? Look at your subdivision. There's no cars on blocks there. There's no poor there. Look at your downtown. Nice restaurants, upscale antique shops. No poor there. Look at your children's school. No poor there. That's why you send them there. Bailiff, God orders. Show them the poor. Take them to Richard's house. The cleaning team is on the way, eating between houses, hot dog rolls and Doritos. One woman's sick, but she's gritting her teeth and working through it without sick sick leave and no health insurance. To lose today's pay is to be without groceries tomorrow. Oh, let's not stay at Richard's house, our self-defense attorney says. We don't like it here. Let's leave before the teening te- cleaning team shows up. Then take them outside the bubble, God tells the bailiff. Take them to Denny's. Let them talk to the employees there and ask one question. How'd you get here? So, we're at Denny's. We sit across the table from a cook and a waitress, both of them middle-aged, and we ask them that question. So, how'd you get here? Cook says sickness, waitress says divorce. Cook says, well, when the company got downsized, I got let go, I couldn't believe how fast it happened. Waitress says, I had no other skills. Self-defense attorney leans in, he says. 
When he said sickness, it was alcohol. When she said divorce, it was her adultery. The reason he was the first to let go when they got downside is because he was incompetent. The reason she didn't have skills is that she didn't get them when she had the chance. Micah says, don't say that. Our conscience remembers we live in a, in a land where the poor suffer tremendous consequences for their misfortune or, or sin from which those of us who are rich are shielded. How do you plead, the thundering voice says. And our defense attorney leans in and he advises. He says, say abuse. Say the poor have abused the system. Say it. Say welfare mom. Say it. Say that. Welfare mom. Yeah. I remember this time a couple came to church looking for food and groceries, groceries and money. They walked away with bulging sacks and lots of cash. And a half hour later, we meet up with them at the Publix and their grocery cart is half full of beer. Someone says, that's not the issue. Micah says, something's wrong when profit for a business is more important than people. And God says, you're all benefactors. You're living in milk and honey. Remember my righteous deeds in your lives and leave plenty for the hopeless and the poor. How do you plead, the thundering voice says. And now our lawyer's gone. No more excuses. And now we see. And now we stand broken like Richard when he saw God's motive and God's steadfast love. And our eyes well up with clarity and we sense the weight of our responsibility. How do you plead? And we say, guilty. Guilty as charged. And when we say that, God comes to us. He kneels down in front of us and he takes our faces in his hand so that we'll look at him. And he says, you've been listening to such bad advice. He said, you've been given such a poor script to read. You've allowed your minds to be poisoned. God says, read from this script with the images and the language that create a people after my own heart. Start with this, Micah 6 and verse 8. Plant these words in your mind. He has told you, O man, what is good and what is the Lord required but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Memorize it. So that when you have eyes to see the poor and the systems that oppress the helpless, your first response will be from this script, do justice. God loves us so much. He loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son that you and I would do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with him as long as we draw breath. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Do you remember when Jesus talked with us? He was just talking to us. Remember when he gathered us around and he asked us that one question? He said, what would you do? He asked us this. He said, what would you do if something really bad happened to me? You know, if I was without food or didn't have proper clothing or was incarcerated? Remember when he said that? And we said, what? For you? Why, we would drop everything immediately. We'd rush to help would get you some food, would get you some clothes, would certainly visit you in jail. And Jesus said, when you see the poorest person, the lowest of all, he said, they're looking at me. This is the gospel. This is the good news. 
God looks at us and he says, you're living in milk and honey. Watch Jesus. Watch how he enters a room. Look at him. Where does he go? With whom does he strike up conversation? Where does he sit? You know, don't you? Watch him. He won't surprise you because you've read your Bible. Nothing Jesus does does which will surprise you. God says, of all the people who ever lived, no one did justice, loved kindness, and walked with me humbly than my son Jesus. And I want you to do the same. This is the good news. We stand guilty before God who loves us and will empower us to remember how we've been treated in kindness by him and then give us the strength to treat others as we ourselves have been treated. This is the story of Richard. It's the story of a man who found himself in God's courtroom. It's the story of a man who was beginning to see. The story of Richard is the story of the first step on a long journey toward empathy and compassion and justice. And the story of Richard is my story as well. Oh, I've exaggerated it. I've changed details. But that self-defense attorney stays with me all the time. Perhaps this is your story too. So may God bless the hearing and the preaching and the performance of Micah 6, which is the word of God in our lives.